do this, the Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Got morning, the Dave. Show. You got the light show going on there. Got the light show going. It's morning, but uh, it's mighty dull, dull and drear out there, as my mom would say. Good word, dreary, for mm-hmm. today's weather conditions. Alrighty, Bruce, uh, usually we don't do this kind of thing until a little closer to trade deadline, but um, we've had this long break, so I've, you know, there's time to think into the past and into the future. So today we're going to look at the Edmonton Oilers at the coming trade deadline. I just wrote a post on it, so I might as well throw up a podcast. And uh, this is something, you know, that's always on our order, the minds of Oilers fans. Um, who are they? Who can the Oilers trade? What can they get? Lots of discussion around this, so I weighed in this morning, and I and I'd like to hear your thoughts on a number of these things. And the first question that comes up is: Do you think the Oilers are going to make a major move at the trade deadline? So I, I'm saying a major move is not picking up a fourth line forward. It's like it's not David DeHarney. That's that's right. not a major move. So I define a major move as anything kind of above that. Um, so a top. They're not picking up anyone on defense. We don't have to talk about that. So are they going to pick up a third-line center or a, um, a t- first- or second-line winger? Those are the, the things. Those, that are are the, those are the holes for sure, aren't they? What say you, Bruce McCurdy? Uh, I suspect uh, <coughs> Ken Holland will uh, will tinker, but I don't expect to see a, a big major shakeup uh, by Holland. I don't think it's necessarily his style. And I don't think it's, um, uh, I'm not sure that they see this year as the year to flat out go for it. So the question is, what assets do you have to give up? And unless you're talking about things like this year's first round draft choice, uh, which is a very, very heavy price to pay, uh, mostly you're tinkering, I think, around the around the edges. And you might get a depth score, or you might find a 4C out there if you trying to trade for a 3C, which the Oilers have needed since about five seconds after the Ryan Strom trade last year. Uh, I don't think they're going to be making it at the, at the trade deadline because the price is, uh, uh, price is going to be pretty dear. And when you think about it, I mean, third-line center, how dear a price do you want to go for, uh, for that player? But when, when we look at our sort of classic roster construction where we have the 12 core players, right, six six forwards yeah. plus a three C plus four defenseman plus a starting goalie. That's kind of that's kind of your template for a, a standard um, NHL team. You want to have solid players in all of those positions and, and the Oilers are still down a couple at the at, uh, certainly in the forward ranks. I would say it's uh it's less apparent now than it was a month ago that a trade's gonna happen. I mean Kyler Yamamoto has come up and mm-hmm. um, so as you need ever. like so that's a good place to start with with those players that you mentioned, like the key players. So the seven forwards, 4D, and a goalie, right? Mm-hmm. So when we look at that, um, the owners actually have that kind of, in a weird, you know, arguably have that in a way that they didn't have it. I wouldn't have argued they had it like two months ago. And that's because the checking line has finally worked out. They finally figured it out something that certain people on the cult of hockey had been mentioning for a long time. The Jujar Kara was not working out with Riley Shan. They were too slow, those two big guys, on um, together on a checking line. They move 
knee guard there, and suddenly they have a checking, a really functional checking line. So Riley Sheehan is not what everybody has in mind as a you know a three optimum three C. But they have if you have a three C that can really play the tough minutes and get the job done, and and uh, that's what these guys have been doing the last eight games when the owners have won six games. Um, then suddenly the need, the pressing need to bring in a third line center as well. Do we really need to? And then in terms of a forward, you know, I think a, a, another attacking winger is kind of an attractive option. But Kyler Yamamoto has made a huge difference. He's not moving out from the top six, so it would be probably moving James Neal down the roster and, um, you know, do a fourth line with, I guess, Chase on and, and Haas. Um, so they could do that. They could bring in, replace Neal. But Neal, I, I actually think, Bruce, in a playoff series, Mm-hmm. Short playoff series, James Neal might be a heck of a, a forward. When he plays tough, when he cranks it up and plays tough, he's a heck of a forward still at even strength. Now, he can't do that. He can only do that about 10 games a year. At his, <laughs> or, he, or he'll break down, I think. So he's, he, I think he paces himself. But when he does, yeah. like he threw 10 hits against Toronto, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I'm not sure that there's this crushing need to make a trade. But I do think, interestingly, the Oilers have some decent pieces to give up, um, depending on how their teams value them and depending on their needs. The Oilers have, can move a defenseman, uh, kind of a gritty defenseman right now, and there's a lot of teams that need that kind of player. So let's go down the list of potential trades, uh, potential pieces the Oilers could trade, and um, see what you think. Let's start with... Two players in the HL, Marcus Granlin and and Joel Person. Do you think there's any market for those players in other NHL cities? Because the Oilers would clearly trade either of those guys. I'd say next to none. Uh, Marcus Granlin. I mean, I guess if you retained half his salary to bring him down to NHL minimum, he might have a minor appeal. Um, but I mean, he didn't make the Oilers. And the Oilers started playing better after they sent him out, which is not exactly a good sign for uh, uh, for the player. You know, I mean, they've been six one and one since the day they shipped out Brandon Manning and Marcus Granlund, and uh, brought up two younger guys. Uh, so for now, I have him categorized under Ken Holland off-season bargain signings that didn't work out. And, you know, Holland's got a pretty good batting average there. I think he's got some decent players uh, that have helped the Oilers, uh, that are helping the Oilers currently. Uh, Marcus Granlin's not one of them. Uh, Joel Person, you know, I I think that contract is between him and the Oilers. You know, like, he's they, they, they gave him a year to get his rights. They gave him another year to bring him over, see what he can do. And they're still in the middle of that. Like, I just can't see why another team would... would yeah, even want to go there, uh, especially uh, he keeps getting hurt, David. He got hurt in training camp. He got hurt during the season, and now he's hurt down in Bakersfield, and he's had three injuries over here, and that may well be the defining uh, thing that happens to him this year, that he or the team, they may just decide, nope, this is this North American style is a little bit too rugged for him. Uh, maybe it's just bad luck, may, you know, but uh, so far it has... Uh, not worked well for him, and frankly, uh, the time that he did play in the NHL, uh, he had impressive moments, but he sure didn't have many impressive games. 
and I, I can't see, you know, he's about number eight or nine on the Oilers right now, right, on on their defense uh, list, and I just don't see, I don't see a market for him really at all. Yeah, a team would have to be pretty uh, desperate, you know. I guess the Oilers could, could float the idea, like, well, that Michael Kempney, no one thought much of him when he went from <laughs> Chicago to Washington. And that was an underrated great trade, wasn't it? <laughs> it sure was. So they could say, hey, here's your here's your chance at a Michael Kempney kind of player. You know, he hasn't worked out for us. We've got these other guys who stepped in and have seized the job, you know, Ethan right. Barron, Caleb Jones. And so I, I agree. Uh, unlikely that he would be moved. Like uh, what I'm thinking is if they were to move these guys, they might get like a sixth round draft pick. And that's something. I mean, you know, maybe they could get that for like if if a team was really desperate for defensive depth due to injury mainly, mm-hmm. um, I could see them moving on. Person with Grand, then it would be a team that's absolutely getting slaughtered on the penalty kill and thinks, well, he's not bad. You know, he's better than what well, we got, and, and we could use him. So I could see. Uh, and Grandland's playing well at the AHL level. I was just going to so, say, he so looked real good this week in the two games I watched in Vegas. Yeah, yeah. So. I don't think it's inconceivable that they could be moved. I don't think they have much value more than, a, as I say, a sixth sixth round draft pick. Um, <coughs> but let's say let's say you're making a team a trade with a team that's really desperate defense, and you move a better defensive piece like William Logason or Matt Benning, and then you also throw in Pearson. It's like you know then they're, then they're like kind of covering themselves in a more significant way. Okay, the next player on my list of the ones of you know that hurt hurt the least to part with starting with Grandlin and person Sam Gagne who's 30 has uh he's on a he's a UFA this summer he's paid 3.15 million and and my thought is Bruce like he's kind of a useful veteran player who could help in the playoffs possibly might even help the orders in the playoffs he's a bit pricey but if the orders need to open up cap space he's mm-hmm. someone that I don't think he has any real value because of his his price he has no He's overpriced, but um, to open up cap space for the like, he's almost a negative value. But the orders oh, yeah. get that cap space if they move him out. How do you see him? I see you could retain fifty percent of his cap, and he'd still be overpriced uh, for what he delivers at this point. I mean, this year he's played uh, twenty-four games, so he's been a bit player. He's played time in the AHL. He's spent a lot of time in the press box. Two goals, seven assists, nine points, minus seven. 6 p.m. Like, uh, you know, there's no real one aspect to his game. Uh, 41, 42% on the dot. Like, you could say, well, he could help some teams power play, and that's probably so. You know, like he helped Columbus power play, Vancouver's, I think, at times. But the only way, to me, Gagne fits in a trade is if Oilers are taking on an expensive player and they have to shed cap room for him. Yeah. And they're trading with some team that has the cap room and say, well, we can afford to pay Sam Gagne for six weeks if it means that we're going to get this first round draft pick from the Oilers or whatever the rest of the deal would be for a high priced player. But that, that would be his role would be an exchange to make cap space for somebody incoming who is also expensive. Exactly, and the owners would be giving up a pretty good piece in addition to Gagne. Yes. Oh, yeah. He would be. He would be the the. Uh, uh, he would be a net uh, negative on the trade that, you know, we have to move this salary to make room for the guy we're getting. So we're going to have to sweeten the pot even that much more with you, uh, uh, whatever team, you know, whatever the whatever the deal might be. Uh, 
Uh, but that would be his role in a, in a trade deadline trade. I don't see him getting traded just as a hockey trade. Okay, now we're going to move on to some players who might have a bit more value um, for other teams and might be pieces that they want. Um, you know, and we're going to, we'll start with um, two players who are uh, 23 and 25, William Lagason and Jujar Kara. Kara mm-hmm. has one more year at $1.2 million. Um, Lagason is an RFA this coming summer. Lagason, um, after this uh, year, if the Oilers keep him, um, they can no longer send him to Bakersfield without putting right. him on waivers. So this, you know, essentially the Oilers had it to move out a veteran defenseman this past summer. I was hesitant to see Andre Sakura leave because I, you know, there was talk that, oh, he's too slow to make plays in the, de- the defensive zone. I didn't see that last year with Sakura. I actually saw a defenseman who was playing strong hockey in a third pairing role and maybe with more time to recover, could play better than that. And that's exactly what's happened in Dallas. Um, good for Andre Secker. I'm really glad. Yeah. I, I, I really admire him as his Big game. Fan. So, um, but Bruce, I think they, uh, weighing everything, and at the time I was didn't want to see him go, but they needed to make room. And so there was this competition between Lagasin, Bear, and Caleb Jones, essentially, and Joel Parrison for one or two jobs. And in the end... Uh, Caleb Jones and Ethan Bear won out, and and Lagesson and Parson are on the outside. Lagesson could still be kept around, I think, next year as a seventh D man. But he's he's a very good piece in a trade because he's young, he's cheap, and he can play. He can play in a third pairing role, and he's tough. So if you need toughness, Lagesson's your guy. And I would say something similar about Kara. He, if you need toughness, um, mm-hmm. Kara might be a bit overpriced. He's a possibly overpriced probably overpriced but if you need toughness if you're desperate for it and some teams are we saw this last year with Milan Lucic in Calgary some teams are willing to do some crazy shit <laughs> to get uh-huh. toughness and yeah. so Kara and Lagasin fit that bill and they can both play a bit um what do you think oh well Lagasin to me he's a future like if you're trading him you're you're not trading for a team that's going to put him in the lineup and use him in the playoffs so you know he's just not anywhere close to there yet he is a promising player he does have a very interesting game uh he's he's a by eye a high event guy he makes he makes mistakes but boy does he make good plays I mean, you know he uh he breaks cycles and he shows up in interesting places in the offensive zone and he has a wicked wrist shot uh so he's uh, he's a uh, more of an offensive threat than than you would think um but he would be a future piece to some, again, some team that's looking to build a little bit. Dujar Kara is more a guy, you could see him playing in the NHL, or whatever team he went to, just going straight on their NHL roster. I mean, he would have to with a, uh, being in his, uh, in his now his third contract. Uh, you know, he's not a demotable kind of player. And I think if the Oilers did demote him, someone would try and claim him, frankly. Because uh, there's lots to like in the player in terms of his size, uh, his physicality, his ability on the penalty killing. Uh, but those of us who see him on an everyday basis are seriously frustrated by the lack of consistency in, in this guy. And maybe it's a, he's one of those guys that a change of scenery would would uh, is just what the doctor ordered. And there may be a GM out there that says, you know, if we could get that guy and we put him on this line with these guys, he'd be just right for for this situation. And, and maybe that's so. Like, I, I do see him having uh, uh, non-zero value uh, for the acquiring team. But, uh, the, you know, there's 
there's reasons that he's on your list. And the reasons being that, uh, uh, unfortunately, his his uh, games, his erratic games have outnumbered his solid games this year by a fairly significant margin, unfortunately. Yeah. I, like, he didn't work out on this checking line on the owners, but he could work out on a checking line. He just needs to be with two fast players. Like, I don't think the, the he was too similar to Shan. And um, they're just, you know, there just wasn't enough speed there between them to get the job done. But if he was with two speedy checkers on a team that needed toughness, yeah, that might make sense for someone. So if, if uh, I want to ask you, if, so I think if, if Lagasin were put on waivers now, he may or may not be claimed. You know, there's a reluctance to claim players. So I think he probably would be, but he might not be. So I, I don't think he's got a ton of value. I think if he was traded, maybe a fifth-round pick for Lagasin, maybe a fourth-round pick would be the, the highest you'd get. Fifth, I think fifth. Mm-hmm. Um, and for Kara... If he was just traded straight up, for, straight up for a draft pick, could you get a third round draft pick for Kara? Well, if if so, I mean you're you're not even recouping what you paid for these guys originally. I mean the Oilers spent a fifth round or third round pick on Kara and a fourth round pick on Lagason originally, and spent years <coughs> developing these guys to this point, and to just trade them to get the same pick and begin the cycle, you know, six or eight years later. Doesn't really feel like a win now, does it? And these well, are for guys. A, that, hmm? Go go ahead. If you could get a third for Kara, you wouldn't do that. I, I'm just saying it doesn't feel like a win. Uh, I I would consider it um, just because they they're going to lose their third round pick this year to Calgary. And one thing the Oilers um, haven't had in the last few years is enough draft choices. They seem to wind up trading more than they get in. And one thing Ken Holland has shown in certainly recent years in Detroit is his willingness to give players up for draft picks. That said, Detroit wasn't in the hunt, and Edmonton is in the hunt. So that's why I think he's going to play it pretty cool this year. Yeah, I'm, I'm not that concerned about where they were drafted originally, Bruce. Right. Like that doesn't, I'm just concerned. Like what, is your, what is the best move now? And if you could get a third-round pick for Juju Arcara, I'd do it tomorrow. Like I'd do it yeah. today. I'd do it like now. So, uh, and Lagasin, um Again, I, I actually think he might be undervalued in the market because he's other teams probably aren't as aware of him as the Oilers are. I think he's. I think I like him as a seventy man next year. I do actually. too. So Even uh, in the Brandon Manning role, but uh, <laughs> I have a guy that can actually play and develop. You know, and because I mean he's spent now, uh, will have spent basically two full years in the AHL, and and he's close. I mean we can see that he's close. That said, he played. He, he did get two games on his most recent call-up, and he was heavily sheltered and didn't overwhelm uh, w- with a positive impression in either game. But, I mean, you got to give those guys a little bit of time to feel comfortable and and, uh, and really start showing their, their A game. But uh, I like the player. I wouldn't give up on him. Let's put it that way. Like, Dujar Kara, I can understand the rationale of saying, okay, enough, let's trade him for a pick from See if we can just improve from within at his position. But Lagson doesn't really have a position that needs improving on, uh, other than he represents a position of depth within the organization. But I just can't see that there'd be value uh, given for Lagason at this point. I'd rather like he establish that value in the NHL. And then if they decide, no, we can't keep all of these young guys, we've got to move one, well, at least then they're dealing from a little bit more of a position of strength of a, of a more established player. 
Okay, let's move on to Matt Benning, who's a really mm-hmm. interesting player to talk about because um, ever. first, listen, I, I'm convinced at this point, and you know, things might change by the end of the year, but I'm convinced the owners need to make room for Evan Bouchard on the roster next year. Mm-hmm. And and so this means, I think, um, the, so they have Benning, Russell, and Larson, and one or two of those players must be moved out in mm-hmm. order to make room for Evan Bouchard. That's That's the facts of life here. So who's it going to be? And um, I really like Chris Russell's game. I know you do. I like Adam Larson's game even more. I know you I like do. It, like the way Adam Larson's playing right now, I like it a ton. Mm-hmm. Matt Benning, he, unlike those two, he's never shown that he can get the job done or rarely shown. That he, he's never shown that he can consistently get the job done in a top four role. He's mm-hmm. got an injury history. He's going to be an expensive to qualify at two million a year, whatever it's going to be, two point one. I'm not exactly sure how that works, but what is it? What they have to raise it by? How much? Fifteen percent? I think at his at his pay grade that he is now, they just have to offer him the same money. Oh, really? It's, it's when it's below. It's one right around one million. You got to offer five percent, and if it's oh, down okay. around seven hundred thousand, you have to offer ten percent. Once you start getting into the into the millions range, you just have to the qualifying offer is just a flat same. So we'll, let's call it two million. It's close enough, and, okay. and uh, which is half of uh, the cap hit of uh, Chris Russell and Adam Larson, who are both four million dollar players and being paid like top four. Whereas uh, Matt Benning, you know, you say he's not established himself as the top four. Well, he hasn't been paid like a top four at any point either. So uh, I like Benning, uh, and I I. I think he's perfect in the third pairing role. I wish he was, you know, a little bit like 1.5 million would have been a real nice signing by Chiarelli. 1.9 was, you know, uh, for where he was in the in the uh, career curve of of reimbursement curve. Let's call it that. He was, you know, they they could have driven a harder bargain, and he didn't really have a whole lot of space to go. But anyway, they 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 got what they got. It's very unfortunate about the concussions. I mean, that's and that's unknowable. You know, one more hit to the head and he could be done. You know, this is one of those things. But that said, one hit of the wrong sort and any player could be done. We've seen that with our number 97 here that we're going to be watching <laughs> next later today. But uh, it's... Um, uh, I would not move Benning with unless you're getting a real solid piece back. Like last year, they were talking about trading Benning for Connor Brown when Toronto was saying, "Well, we need yeah. a right defenseman. We got too many forwards." That's a good trade. That's a hockey trade. But it's not a guy that I'm saying, "Well, let's get rid of him so we can make room for some young, less proven guy than he is," because he's pretty proven, you know. And the Oilers have given him the the 250 games or whatever it is you need to. To establish yourself as an NHL player, and you know this week, coming back and going down into into uh, Bakersfield from the very first shift, like I'm, I, I watched that game, and you could say, "Oh, there's an NHL player. There's a guy. You know, there's just so much more polish to his game than many of these guys that we're seeing down here. This is a guy that's been, you know, been in the trenches for a while, and he knows what he's doing out there, and and. Uh, uh, he's a pretty ferocious competitor, you know. There's there's lots to like about Matt Benning. He's got a wicked hard shot, which is his one timer is a, uh, you know, it's just a small aspect of his game just because of his usage. But but he's got uh, 
he's got things going on. And to me, he's a player who's still improving. I don't know if he's ever going to improve out of the third pairing or not. Uh, but I would be reluctant to give up on him uh, in the hopes, frankly, that uh, Evan Bouchard is not going to be a third-pairing defenseman. So you're kind of comparing apples to oranges in the sense that Bouchard's a guy who's going to definitely move into the top four in due course, and you're still going to be needing a good third pairing. Well, I, I, what I would see next year is Bear and Larson in the top uh, mm-hmm. four and oh, Bouchard okay. in the bottom pairing. Like, don't feed him the tough minutes. Like, don't don't Justin Schultz the guy. Just uh, don't jolt him, as some might say. Just give him, give him easy minutes. And Bouchard will, in the third pairing and on, on the power play, that's where you want him next year. I, listen, I like Matt Benning in a third pairing role, too. And he's an, he's an NHL hockey player. He's a very useful NHL hockey player. I agree. He'd have to bring in at least a very good rental player. Like mm-hmm. t- t- part of a trade for a good rental player, like, Tyler Toffoli or um, what's the guy, John Gabriel Pajot, part of part, you know, he'd be part of what the Oilers gave up for, for a player like that. And I could see Todd McClellan in Los Angeles thinking I, I could use that guy. You know, we got, we got major problems on defense in LA and I could use that guy maybe in it. Maybe he can be a top four defenseman. He's only 25, you know, maybe went next year. So yeah, well, he's got asking- some value. What do you think his value is, Bruce? Like, could you get a second or a third for, for Matt Benning? They're asking for more than Matt Benning for Tyler Toffoli. I'm saying no thanks, because you're only getting a few weeks of a of a guy who's you know highly paid for fairly mediocre production in my view. I, I'm not that huge. I'm not that sold on Tyler Toffoli at this point in his career, frankly. But uh, uh, second or third, uh, no, I wouldn't move him for that. I I keep no. him. I'm not trying to say you should trade him for that. I'm just trying to like establish like a theoretical value in draft picks for a player. Like, is he is he worth a first? Is he worth a second? Is he worth he's a third? Not worth a first. Yeah, no, he's so he's, he's not worth. He's more so in the would, second range. Yeah. Do you think he? Do you think he could get a second round draft pick for him? Potentially. I think yeah, he's maybe. a good player. He's got you know. No, what his NHL experience is exactly, but this is his fourth year, and it's his fourth year of being on outscoring defensive pairing. And he, you know, he's, uh, uh, I would argue the Oilers' third pairing has not been as good since he went down as it was before, but he is now up to uh, 229 career games. And, you know, still just 25 years old. And so really just getting to that point in his career where, you, you know, you're going to get, you know, basically his his peak years are just coming up now. So I'm reluctant to let that guy go. I think uh, Tippett wants him on the team. I think Tippett likes mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think Tippett played him more than he's playing Caleb Jones. And um, so I, I think the coach wants him back. And I think he, he's a use, you know, he played really well in the plus last time uh, in 2017. So, yeah. Um I'd be hesitant to move him, except in a for a good for a, a, a hockey a, trade. A, a hockey trade, as mm-hmm. you say, Bruce. All right, Chris Russell and Adam Larson. Um, so, I, I think the Russell contract has been a, a good contract for the Oilers. Nonetheless, they got to make room for Bouchard and um, Russell has, I think, a 15-player trade um, list for next year. Um, it's going to be possible. I. And I think for a team looking for kind of a veteran, uh, gritty, shutdown, P 
PK guy and also at even strength who doesn't move the puck very well, but is that kind of that veteran defender? Like he can have a, he can have a lot of value for another team in that role, just like he's had with the Oilers. I can see him having some value. Now that said, he gets, I think he, after his bonus next year is his contract, just 1 million in real money. So he's one of those guys with a big cap hit, but low pay. So that's appeals to a cheap team. Ottawa. Um, mm-hmm. Like that. So like Pajot, like if they're looking to trade Pajot, like you could see Russell going as part of that package. <coughs> and um, so, and the other guy here is Larson. I don't want to see Adam Larson traded, honestly. Like, We'll have to see how the cap situation works out because he's he's I think because he's a good right shot top four NHL D man he's not going to be cheap in his next contract he has one more year at four point one six 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 million or whatever it is and um, uh, he's just been playing very strong hockey with Clefbaum there I, I I don't think there's really any chance the orders move him except for a really useful player you know what's the guy in Toronto Kasperi Kapanen. Is that his name? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's a hell of a hockey player. Mm-hmm. And Toronto's desperate for a right shot D-man. So you, maybe a trade like that gets worked out. I don't know. Maybe people in Toronto would lose their minds at, at the suggestion of such a trade, uh, thinking it's a terrible trade for the Leafs. I don't know. I, I haven't seen Kapanen enough, other than know he's fast as hell and can make some plays. Um, but Adam Larson's a very good hockey player. And... Um, so I don't like I, I don't like the idea of trading him. I don't think it's going to happen, but maybe. Yeah, well, if we're talking about specifically for the trade deadline, I'm thinking there's close to zero chance the Oilers will move <laughs> yeah. either Chris yeah. Russell or Adam Larson. I think there's a very strong chance that one of those guys gets moved out in the offseason, and I'm thinking most likely it's Chris Russell, who's older, and as you say, whose contract um, in terms of the actual cost to the acquiring team is significantly lower than his cap hit. So it's, uh, it would have uh, uh, attraction in that environment to any team that's on a budget, and even a competing team. You know, what the trick for the competing team is how do you fit the $4 million cap hit into your, into your space. Um, but the fact that, you know, on July 1st, they pay him a million bucks, and then his, his actual next year's contract's only $1.5 uh, Larson's still on for the full ticket. He's a he's a younger player, and I think a guy the Oilers would be more likely, given the choice between those two, I think they'd rather keep Larson. But uh, Russell has been a stalwart on the penalty kill this year, and he and Clefbaum, even since Cle- uh, Larson got back, they still seem to be working Russell and Clefbaum together on the penalty kill, and they've they've uh, they've done a stalwart job, and that's. Um, uh, certainly, one part of uh, of uh, that player's value is uh, is on the PK. But frankly, I think unless the Oilers suddenly fall out of the race between now and the trade deadline, I don't think either of those guys. I just can't imagine the coach saying, "Yeah, sure, take one of my most proven veteran defensemen and trade him off or something else." Because I'm not sure that that's going to provide a, a a big upgrade in the in the in the team in the short term. And if it's not going to help the team in the short term, then why make the trade at the deadline? Yeah, it, it, Ken Holland has said once you you know once you get to the playoffs, sixteen teams are there. Any one of them can win, and he's right. He's right about mm-hmm. that at this yep. point. So Chris Russell, if you're going through the playoffs and and you lose Darnell Nurse or Clefbaum or Larson to injury, like here's a player you can slot right in. You don't if you think you're going to make the playoffs, you do not trade either of those guys. 
because they can help you win the Stanley Cup. And Adam Larson, he could help you win a couple Stanley Cups if he signed again to a new contract. I mean, he's still still a young. He's still a, he's in mid career. He's got mm-hmm. three or four or five, probably peak near peak or near peak years left. And um, yeah, I'd like to see him resigned. Not, uh, you know, if he's healthy, he's a, he's a very good hockey player. You know, the the thing, Bruce, I, w- I just want to make a comment about Russell. Like when I say that I think he's been good value and he's a good player, like some people might take that as me trolling them, like poking them in the eye because they don't like Chris Russell. I'm not really trying to do that. I don't, I honestly, I, I just, I'm telling you what I think about the player. Mm-hmm. And I know that other people strongly disagree with that. Mm-hmm. And then that's fair enough. You don't have to have the same assessment, but I'm not stabbing you in the eye by saying that. This is actually what I think of the player. This is my assessment of his value and of his worth as a, as a hockey player. And, you know, you might disagree and that's that's fine, but I'm not trying to, to you know, get under your skin by saying this. I just don't think it's, I don't think it's a controversial statement myself to say that he's a, a decent, useful NHL D-man and this contract has actually been a good one so far for the orders. I just think it's the, to me that's a statement of my opinion, and I'll leave it there. He's he's expensive, but the other the other issue, David, you talk about getting in the playoffs and going for the Stanley Cup. Well, you also have to get from here to there. I mean, between the trade deadline and game eighty-two, there's what twenty twenty-two games in between times. Uh, the trade deadline is forty days before the end of the season, always so around twenty games. And if you're on the, you know, on the playoff bubble in game 62, chances are you're going to need those assets just to get yourself into the dance, let alone what you do once you get to the dance. Like, you don't want to weaken your team down the stretch in any way. Or yeah. else you'll take yourself out of that playoff hunt, and that's the worst thing you could do at the deadline. Yeah, and, and Russell and Larson would certainly be in the category of, you know. They're the kind of player where you can see when, when you trade them, when you trade Adam Larson or, or Russell, if you traded both, you'd be thinking, man, do the owners ever need a tough defensive shutdown demon who can get the job done on the PK? Like, we could really use that player. And so then you, you, you lose those guys and suddenly it's like just hits you in the head. Like, we, man, we, we need that guy. Um, so I don't. Let's, let's talk about one final guy, Bruce. Because sure. some people would be willing to trade Zach Cassian at the deadline. You know, the, the thinking is, you know, we're playing money puck here. Right. We're, uh, we're the hard-headed GM who sees a player who's overvalued. He's, mm-hmm. His numbers have gone through the roof because he's playing with Connor McDavid. And he's overvalued right now. So we're going to move this guy out um, at the peak of his value rather than give him a contract as he's heading right. in, into his 30s where he's unlikely to perform at that level. So it makes perfect sense from the money puck perspective to trade this player now. Go, Bruce. What do you say? Do you what are you trading him for? Are you trading him for futures or are you making a hockey trade? Like Typically, the team that wants the player like that is the team that's loading up for the playoffs. And they're going to say, okay, we'll give you you know, prospect B and draft choice C and whatever for the for the guy. And that doesn't help the Oilers in the short term. I, guess- I mean, to me, in the short term, the Oilers are, are smarter uh, almost to keep the player for the rest of the season and let him walk as opposed to because they're so on the cusp of where they are. But I don't think they're going to let him walk. And, you know, I, I, I think we're we're <clears throat> kind of tilting at windmills to, to other than 
that's been the discussion all year. It's been the, it's the discussion every year about every player who's on an expiring contract is going to be UFA. Well, we don't want to lose them for nothing. What can we get for them at the deadline? But I think it's pretty close to a moot point. Zach Cassidy, in fact, I wouldn't be surprised if he's actually signed before the deadline. And we're, yeah. we will have lots to talk about the contract, I'm sure. But that, I, just the current circumstances, I'd be shocked if they traded him now. I, I don't know what the money puck guys, that's a good question for them. The guys who want to trade Cassian, the people, the, the, the men and women, I that's should say, who want to trade Cassian. What what are you talking about? Are you talking about draft picks or a player right now? Mm-hmm. I guess, and that's a really important question because the money puck would be to trade him for draft picks, I guess, for futures. Oh. And um, that's madness to me when you're, when you have a chance to win the Stanley <clears throat> Cup and he's performing like a like if if someone could say if you could replicate the Zach Cassian season for sure for the next four years, oh, big tough power forward who's who's Bruce. I think he's like the last time I looked, he's in even strength scoring for NHL forwards. He's forty eighth, or it was mm-hmm. something like forty fifth, forty fourth. He's forty yeah. fourth. He's in there. First you know, line, right, right, right. He's scoring, around William right. Nylander Absolutely. level of even strength scoring right now. What is that player worth? Like how much is how much if you could get that season for the next four years? Now he's getting older. You're not likely to get that, and he has like he's this weird player. He's really hard to figure out his value because he's been a, a grinder who hasn't scored much. But this year he's, he's suddenly out, sorry. He's always outscored his line. Like when he's on a grinding line, like he spent a ton of he spent more time with Mark Letestu than he spent combined with Connor McDavid. Leon Dreisaitl, Ryan Nugent-Hopkins, and Ryan Strom. Uh, the one year that I looked up when he was definitively in the bottom, you know, like he spent all his time with Mark Potestu, he scored more points per 60 relative to his line mates. Like, he was the best scorer on his line. Now he's obviously the, the lowest scorer on his line, and yet his scoring rates have gone up. That's how big the quality of line mates issue is with uh, uh, NHL players. And he's got to... Um, uh, he, as you say, very, very hard to place. He's got no value on special teams, really. Uh, but he does have ancillary value in terms of, uh, you know, being a tough guy and, and a, a heavy checker and, a, you know, a guy who brings a physicality to the team like really no one else. And so his uh, he, he he's hard to compartmentalize. Like, there's not a lot of real good comparables for this guy. And especially for the career curve that we've seen where suddenly he emerges as a first-line player in his late 20s after uh, being way down the lineup. It's a tough one. Like, I, I, like you know, I think people, there's a tendency, I think, to apply kind of uh, principles from other leagues like the NFL or baseball where they have completely different CBAs, completely different roster structures, completely different team concepts take the ideas from Bill Belichick and try to apply them to the, to the NHL. And I'm telling you that does, there's flaws in that, that kind of thinking. And I, and I think I see a little bit of that creeping in here. And I, I can't tell you what the money puck rules are for the NHL. It's its own beast and it's very complicated and it's very tricky, but I don't see NHL teams operating like the new England Patriots on a regular basis. You can't. Wow. And it's a difference. Again, it's a different CBA. There's all these, there's 40, how many players on a football roster and, and there's different value, way different values, like greater variation of values of NFL players, I think. And it's just, it's, it's a very complex thing. I don't have the, I don't have, I can't tell you that I have the answer, Bruce, no, on what to do no. with, 
with Cassian and or or with what what are the money puck rules of the NHL? It's it's a really interesting question. And I think it's it's kind of an unknown on a certain level. Ken Dryden in his new book, Scotty, suggests, you know, that the the Chicago model was to identify the few core pieces, pay those guys and try to fill in around them and hope it works out. And And, and that's, I think, as a general rule, a good idea. And you don't certainly don't want. Zach Cassian to be who is that huge Chicago over oh Brian Bickle you don't want you know Cassian right. to be your Bickle oh. right and mm. and that's that's the fear that's the risk you're taking if you pay him yeah. too much yep and it's, but on, on the, the other hand you you can't trade him for future picks and and who are you going to get in a trade that gives you this year in the playoffs this year with your chance to win the Stanley Cup what Zach Cassian gives he's he's that player who's risen up and done well and I guess. So maybe maybe your thought is right. You he be as a as your own rental. That's what that's the question. Would you keep him as your own rental this year for the playoffs? And I think the answer is yes. Maybe, but if you can sign him for a, a decent contract, I'm not against it, Bruce. If they can get him on the Furlan contract, I'm not going to be pulling my. I don't have any hair, but I wouldn't. You know, I w- I won't be banging my bald head against the wall. If they get him on the Furland contract, you know, three point five for four, you know, is it a bit? Is it going to be as you say for Chris Russell, pricey? Yeah, that's pricey. I, I get it, but man, he, he is only going to he he he's not he's not he's he's going to be thirty next year, um, halfway through the year. When you look at comparable players, um, big physical guys with some skill. In the in when they're 30, 31, 32, 33, they they tend to be about half of them are okay and half of them aren't. Uh, so it's a coin flip whether that contract's going to work out or not. And some might say Cassian plays better in a contract year than he play, plays with a new contract in his pocket. And that's when you go for a three or four year deal. That's a real danger, but we'll see. I think that the internal. Um, dynamic on the team will have a lot to do with how all these players like whether you can get away with that kind of thing in coming years i think there's going to be hopefully increasing kind of internal accountability and mat- and maturity on this team where, mm-hmm. where people are just driven to to succeed and to win and and uh hopefully they all watch the Connor mcdavid movie tonight and see how hard that guy works and and take that to heart bruce let's leave it there i know you got to get right. going here so uh all thanks right. for talking today yeah thanks for listening everyone and in the meantime And in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.